We're in Romans chapter 15, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, and uh, many of the verses will be up here as well. You know, many Christians perceive God uh, like they perceive their senior pastor. As one person said, God is like my pastor. I don't see him during the week, and I can't understand him on Sunday. And sometimes, you know, God is like that for us, too. We don't understand his plan for our lives. Uh, we, we try to discern it. We don't know. Uh, Romans 15, Paul concludes his letter in 15 and 16 to the church in Rome, and he highlights uh, four ways that we could perceive God working in our lives, his plans for our lives. We, and, and here's the outline. If we're to discern God's will and his plan for our lives, we need to develop the right posture. We need to discover God's purpose. We need to pursue God's priorities. And then we need to trust in God's providence. This morning comes to you sponsored by the letter P. So so we can learn from the Apostle Paul in Romans 15. Uh, He says, if you want to discover um, God's plan for your life, and live into it, then we need to develop the right posture. And the right posture, as we saw from last week in chapter 14, which carries on to chapter 15, is that we need to put others first posture. We exist to serve Christ by serving others. In 15.1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. You see, the context of Romans is the Jewish believers and the And the Gentile believers, they were in conflict because both of them thought they were the mature ones, the strong ones, the right ones, the ones doing God's will for their lives. Both groups thought we're the strong ones. And how often is that true in the church as well? But if anyone thinks they are the mature ones and the godly ones and the right ones, then prove it by carrying the responsibility of giving preference to the other person, that will show that you are indeed the mature one. Like when a family goes on vacation, they don't recruit their elementary school kids, first, second, third graders to say, okay, kids, make sure you pack for us and then load the car and make sure there's gas in the car and then make sure you have groceries for our ride. And when we, uh, when we drive up the mountains, make sure you tell us the way. And, and then when we get there, make sure you plan the meal. We don't do that because we are the mature ones. We're the parents. We are called to, to serve the weaker ones. The more mature will serve the weaker, if you will. The kids will hop in the back seat and promptly fall asleep, unless you're Molly, our middle one, then she never sleeps in the car (laughs) growing up. Mature believers in Christ will have the same posture toward others then. In verse 2, he continues, each of us should please our neighbors for their own good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mine toward each other that Christ Jesus had, others first, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. To one who was asked this mature uh, missionary, George Mueller, asked him, what's the secret of your effectiveness? This is how he responded. He said, 
There was a day when I died, utterly died. I died to George Mueller, his preferences, opinions, his preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval and censor. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. Doing God's will and submitting to his plan means dying to self, means living for God and for others. It was the hallmark of Jesus, and it was also the hallmark of the Apostle Paul, who looked like Jesus. The right posture for living into God's plan means others first, the right posture. Secondly, Paul says you need to discover your purpose. Discover God's purpose for you. Paul's purpose was to be an apostle. In other words, he was to preach the gospel to unreached people groups and and start churches in unreached places, in particular the Gentiles. In verse 15, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. What's his purpose? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. That's his purpose. So that the Gentiles might become offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And we say, well, good for you, Apostle Paul, you great leader of the early church, but I'm not an apostle like Paul. I don't feel led to preach to unreached people groups as a missionary. In determining his purpose one day, this middle-aged farmer desired to be an evangelist. And so, God, what do you want me to do? He was out working in his field when he decided to rest under the tree, looked up in the sky, and he could swear he saw the letters PC in the clouds. There it was. Preach Christ, leave farming, become an evangelist. So he did that. But he didn't bear any fruit because he was a horrible preacher and communicator. So after one particular sermon of evangelism, a friend of his came and said, "Uh, could it be that God wasn't telling you to preach Christ but to plant corn? (laughs) You know, sometimes, uh, well, we, we aren't all apostles, We aren't all called to preach to the unreached people like the Apostle Paul, and that's okay, but we are called to be missionaries, even to our neighbors across the street or in our town. We're all called to share the love of Christ with our neighbors. Most believe their purpose is their occupation. Well, what's your purpose? Well, I went to college to be an accountant. That's my purpose in life, be the best accountant. Well, no, that is your occupation. Your purpose would be your vocation. The word vocation is vocal. It's God's call on your life, scripturally speaking. As Christians, our call is our vocation, not our occupation. Our occupation is simply a platform for your vocation. Like when I was in high school, I was a 
diver who happened to be a Christian. Yeah, I was raised as a Christian, but my identity was that I was a springboard diver, and I wanted to be the best and go to the college and, and do well. But then I had an encounter with Christ my senior year in high school where he became the Lord of my life, and everything changed internally. When I was in college, I happened to be a Christ follower who happened to dive. My identity became a Christ follower, a Christian, and I happened to dive My diving only served as a platform for my vocation, which was to be a Christ follower and a witness for Christ. And so I had many opportunities as a college diver. God gave me favor, and I improved. And and so I was able to be a witness to a lot of non-Christian divers that I competed against in my uh, conference and in the nation even. And so um, we we aren't all called to be missionaries, but we are all called to share the love of Christ with our neighbors. This is our vocation for all of us. Verse 2, each one of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Well, Paul in this chapter refers no longer to brothers and sisters in Christ like he did previous chapters, like don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Now he says he transitions to neighbors here. Neighbors meaning not just your Christian brothers and sisters, but everyone you come in contact with. And who is my neighbor, they asked Jesus. And Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan and Jews did not get along. They were notorious enemies. And Jesus said, hey, if this Samaritan fell across on the street and, and he was in need, you got to stop as a Jew and help him and, and lift him up and, and serve him. Even your enemies. For Jewish and Gentile Christians, again, they both thought that they were right. They were convinced that they were right about their faith, and the other was wrong. But Paul reminds them, no, the other is your neighbor. Give them preference. And the purpose for every Christian is to represent Christ to the world, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus not only told that to his disciples, but it was a call for all, all of us to be his witnesses. We're all called to be missionaries to our neighbors in Jerusalem, our hometown, our neighborhood, Judea, which would be our city, maybe state, county, Samaria, maybe United States, the ends of the earth. Wherever God calls us, we're called to be his witness. Our sphere of influence, if you will. How can we do that, though? I'm not, I don't feel called to go out and just preach on the street corner or hand out four spiritual laws booklets or even like the Gideons hand out Bibles. I don't know if I want, want to do that or could do that. Well, guess what you can do? This is an illustration I heard this last week on, on video. This is what happened to this guy. His name is Ryan Swagler, and he co-founded the Satanic Church in South South Africa. Um, This major church that was founded some years ago, and he was one of the high priests of the satanic church. And it was growing, and and, and there was a public outcry against this church of Satanism. And so one day, he was invited to interview on Cape Town Radio... And, after the, and during the course of the interview, he proclaimed that Jesus, he didn't believe in Jesus Christ or his existence. But what happened, he said, was very unexpected. After I got done with the radio interview, he said, uh, someone who worked in the station, a woman, came up and gave me a hug. 
And then she said, it was nice to meet you in person. He said, I felt, I've never felt so loved in my life. I've never felt anything like that when she hugged me. A week later, he said, I found her on WhatsApp, on social media, and discovered that she was a Christian. I've never had a Christian show me so much love and acceptance unconditionally as she did. He said, it stayed with me. And then a week after that, he encountered Jesus when he was performing a, a satanic ritual trying to discover, God, are you really real, Jesus? Are you really real? And it was during that satanic ritual that Jesus appeared to him with the same love that he encountered when this woman hugged her. It was so overwhelming. He'd never felt so loved, and he found Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Of course, he gave up. He resigned from his position of leadership in the Church of Satanism and now as a believer. And you can hear his testimony online, and that's him on the right saved. He couldn't contain himself. He was overcome with the love, telling about the love that he had experienced because this woman simply hugged him and said, I wanted to meet you, loved him unconditionally. That's all she did. Are we capable of doing that? That is sharing the love of Christ. That is preaching Christ in our actions. We all can do that. But we've got to be intentional on a daily basis in our sphere of influence. Even if we're standing in line at Burger King, got to be intentional. That's what we're called to. That's our vocation. We need to discover God's purpose for us. And then thirdly, Paul goes on to say we need to pursue God's priority for our lives. Yes, Paul was a great preacher and apostle, and he made it his priority to share the good news. He just didn't know it, but he wanted to share it in his words and his deeds. In Romans 15, 27, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that have to do with God's priority? Well, Paul was writing from Greece, from Corinth. He was writing his letter to Rome, Roman church. And at this time, he was made aware of the fact that the, the believers in Jerusalem, they were being persecuted. They were experiencing poverty and famine. And many of the the fathers and husbands were being arrested and getting fired from their jobs, leaving the, the moms and kids in a destitute situation as believers in Christ. And so Paul felt prompted to go to Jerusalem and take them an offering. The problem was this detour would have been in the total opposite direction as you see in the map up here. He's writing from Greece, which is the center, and then he wanted to go to Jerusalem, which is on the bottom right, Jerusalem, which is a thousand miles across the sea, by the way. And then, and then his intention was then eventually to go to Rome to visit the Christians in Rome, which is in the upper left hand, which is another 750 miles or whatever. And so he went a crazy, crazy amount of detour in order to deliver the offering to the uh, Christian Jews in Jerusalem who are suffering. <clears throat> Paul encouraged the Gentile churches of which he was planting and ministering to to give offerings so that he could take it back to the Jewish believers 
because after all, the Gentiles had received their salvation from the Jews initially. Jesus came for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And so in return, let's share our love back to them. But Paul thought, you might think, but Paul, I thought you were called to preach the gospel not, and plant churches, not collect offerings and, you know, go way out of your way, travel way out of your way to deliver the offerings. Can't anyone else do that? Well, here's a definition of leadership that I learned from my leadership professor in college. He said, leaders meet needs. That's the definition. The need might be a relational need. You might be a relational type person. Or as a leader, you might be a task person behind the scenes. But leaders meet needs. That's how they influence people. Guess what? You're all leaders. All All of you are leaders in some way. If you are an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a parent, a friend, if you're gifted in any way which you are, you're a leader you got to use your leadership, your calling, your gifting, and you got to make it a priority to say, God, what are you calling me to do specifically? Apparently, Paul understood that it would be critical for the Jews not only to hear the message of the gospel, but to experience the message of the gospel from these Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews would have had a hard time accepting Gentile believers because they were kind of poo-pooing, you know, uh, the Jewish faith in some ways, when they said, no, we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by the works, you know, not by all the Old Testament Jewish works and customs and sacrifices and all that. We're, not, we're never saved that way. And so they had a hard time understanding what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Paul's highest priority was to share the gospel. And Mahatma Gandhi, who was the leader of the Hindu faith, He said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. I believe in the teachings of Christ, but you, on the other side of the world, do not seem to. Rather, Christians, above all others, seem to be seeking after wealth. Their aim is to become rich at the expense of their neighbors. Their prosperity is far more essential to them than the life, liberty, and happiness of others. The gospel of God's love is more than what we speak, more than what we think. It is through how we live. And if it's not backed up with attitudes and actions of compassion and kindness, then our message will do way more harm than good. Like James 2, we're told, If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, the early church exploded because there was a 15-year plague that that came upon the Roman Empire during that time. And and one-fourth to to one-third of the population, they were decimated by this plague. And the church grew because of the care that Christians extended to those who were, um, who were infected by this plague, while all the Roman citizens, even family members, deserted their loved ones and ran to the mountains for, for their own safety, Christians remained behind in the cities, and they cared for those who were suffering. And they discovered, now looking back, that simply giving them hydration and food and, and rest 
brought many of them back to health. In fact, many Christians cared for each other, and they survived way more than the unbelievers because they cared for each other as well. But the church exploded in growth because of that, and we see that also in Acts 2 prior to the plague. Uh, they, the Christians sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were prayed together, and then the last line, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church exploded. Why? Because they pooled their resources together and they cared for one another. Not just one another, but their neighbors, the unbelievers, came to Christ in hordes. There is no guarantee, though, that the Jews would accept the gift from the Gentiles. Because, again, it had been 1,500 years of Jewish law and culture that was being challenged by this new message of grace alone. Would the Jews be willing to accept this gift of love from the Gentiles, Jewish believers, or would they reject it? And then finally, we can live into God's plan by not only pursuing God's priority, but trusting in God's providence. Providence means direction, protection, and provision. Trusting in God's providence. Paul intended to spend time with the Roman believers, those folks who he had never met. In Romans 15, 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in fullness of the blessing of Christ. His intention is seen at the very beginning of the letter. In my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, so that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. But Paul's plans were hindered time and time again. Chapter 113, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been preventing from doing so until now. Why were Paul's plans hindered and prevented? Was it because he was living out of God's will? I mean, that's how I think. If my prayers aren't answered, God, what am I doing wrong that you're not, you're not opening up the doors for me and answering my prayers and I feel so unworthy, God, what am I doing wrong? Where are you? We can be hindered by our disobedience at times and our complacency. One pastor never prepared during the week, but instead he, it was his custom just to sit on the front pew and say, Lord, give me your words. Give me your words. What, word, what message do you have for me? Lord, give me your message. So one morning on Sunday, he said, Lord, give me your message today. Give me your message. What do you want me to say? Give me your message. And the Lord gave him a message. He said, Pastor Ralph, here's your message. You're lazy. You're lazy. Sometimes God asks us to make it a priority to plan. We can be uh, hindered by our disobedience, but we can also be hindered because of our obedience. On the other hand, you know, when we're obedient, Satan comes after us sometimes. It's called spiritual warfare, when we're on the front lines of doing God's work. And we've all experienced it at times. God is greater than our enemy, but we can experience spiritual warfare. And then we can be hindered thirdly because of God's holy interruptions, his closing and opening of doors of opportunities. And this is what Paul was experiencing time and time again in verse 20. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Verse 22, this is why I have been hindered from coming to you, because Paul was busy preaching Christ 
in places that had not heard the gospel yet. In Rome they had. My intention is to come to you, church in Rome, but there are so many opportunities where I am. God keeps opening up these doors and closing my door right now to see you. Have you ever prayed for loved ones to come around? And Sometimes for years, but God's answers are de- delayed. We, pray, we appreciate it when God is patient with us. We need his patience. But we hate it when God is patient with his plans for us because we want what we want now. I remember feeling like I was done with youth ministry after being in youth ministry for like 17 years. I was done. I was like, okay, um, I, I still enjoy it, but I know that I'm done, Lord. And so I remember Lynn and I were uh, thinking, okay, we're going to put our house for sale and we're going to be looking and seeking for other, a place of employment where we can transition. We didn't know where God was leading us, but we knew God was leading us. And so the day I put the for sale sign in our yard was the day I went to church to work and the senior pastor announced that he had just received a call to move to Colorado from Indiana. And we thought, oh no, that means it would be really bad manners for us to move at the same time. And so we knew that God was asking us to stay there for a year or two, or a year maybe, when we found a new senior pastor so that we'd be released. Well, we didn't find a new senior pastor for about three years. Doors kept closing on those we were interviewing, but either way, vice versa. And so it was really frustrating for me. So I had another three years of youth ministry, but, and I was frustrated. But what I didn't realize was God was preparing me for something because during those three years, without a senior pastor, those of us on staff had to share the role of senior pastor like co-senior pastors, and I learned a ton during those three years, which prepared me. Secondly, God said, in retrospect, if you had gone when you wanted to, if you would have pushed, run ahead of God, then you wouldn't have ended up in McPherson because you weren't looking for a senior pastor three years prior to that. And so I would have been elsewhere. And so God says, I have a place for you in the middle of Kansas. You're going to move back to Kansas. Okay. I didn't intend to. Here we are. And so God's providence, his leading always takes precedence over our plans and we need to rest in that. It's always for our good and for his glory. In conclusion, how was God's providence evident in Paul's life? Let's look at a couple, few verses to conclude. Verse 30, I urge your brothers and sisters by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe. Three prayer requests. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Secondly, that contribution that I take to Jerusalem be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Thirdly, so that I may come to you in Rome with joy by God's will in your company and be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. This is what was on Paul's heart. Three prayer requests. So how were Paul's prayers answered? First one, yes and no. Second one, not sure. Third one, yes, but. Was Paul's prayer for protection in Judea, was it answered? Yes and no. No for protection in the sense that Paul was arrested there. He was imprisoned in Jerusalem. But yes, he was spared being torn apart three different times. 
He was rescued from flogging once, and he, there was a plot to um, mug him and kill him in route, and he was protected there, so yes and no. Second prayer request, was the offering received by the believers in Jerusalem? We don't know. We're not told. I think it, it would have been received. Third, did Paul ultimately make it safely to Rome, filled with joy and refreshment, carrying out God's purposes to encourage the church? Yes, but he made it to Rome eventually, but he made it to Rome as a prisoner in chains, having to appear before Caesar Nero, being imprisoned there. He made it after being shipwrecked in the middle of the sea for 14 days. They all thought they were going to lose their lives. Finally, they kind of washed ashore, you know, saving themselves with uh, parts of the boat that had, had been decimated by the storm. He was uh, stranded on the island of Malta for three months prior to Rome as well. So when Paul finally made it to Rome, did he arrive with the spirit of, here I am, here's your missionary. No, he was like this, I'm a prisoner here. But because of that, he appeared before the emperor, which was the greatest audience and the greatest open door that Paul could ever envision. He presented the gospel to those who are in power in Rome. God's providence is always for his glory and for our good. If we're to live into God's plan for our lives, we must develop the right posture and attitude and, and with others. We must discover God's purpose for our lives and know what, that we're called to be his witness and apply it. We need to pursue God's priority, be listening to what he wants us to do and how he leads us. And then finally, we need to trust in God's leading, his providence. And when we do these things... By our example, the Apostle Paul, then we will live into God's plan for our lives, which will be for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking to us in this chapter with the example of the Apostle Paul, who looked a lot like Jesus in his attitude and in his actions. I pray, God, that we can uh, model our lives in the same way, empowered by your Holy Spirit who resides within us, Lord. Give us that passion and that priority, that purpose, Lord, that we may bring glory to your name, I pray. Amen.